Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome. Thank you guys for being here this morning. I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you all. I thought it was going to be long weekend and hey, look at all of you. Thank you for for joining us on your long weekend. Um, it really is a privilege for us to have you as a part of our family and, and here at Bikers Church. So if you're joining us today, you have walked into the third week of something that we're busy with. It's called The Journey, and we're journeying with Jesus. Um, what does that mean? Well, um, so we're looking at how do we grow in our relationship with God on a daily basis? How do I walk this road on a daily basis to grow in relationship with God? In this, we have started a 40, day, uh, 40 days of, of fasting and prayer before, uh, leading up to Easter. And so we're sharpening up on some of our spiritual disciplines, aren't we? Um, if you haven't started, if you're like, oh man, they've started three weeks ago, they're 40, they like... 12 days or 14 days, sorry, into, into their 40-day fast, you can still join us. Catch up on the podcast um, or, or on the website. You can just type in Bikers Church Midrand and you'll find us. Um, you, there's still some of our Courageous Journey journals available. If you would like to join us, it's not about the days. It's about journeying with Jesus. It's not about the time and the limit. And the, it's about growing in relationship with God. So... With that in mind, I've said that we're two weeks in, and so this is week three, and the first week, we looked at God's desire for relationship with us, the lengths he went to, to have relationship with us. Then the next week, we spoke about faithfulness. We looked at the faithfulness of God, and how over and over and over again, his faithfulness shows us how to be faithful. He showed it in creation. He showed it right through history. He showed it in sending Jesus. And so we get to learn what faithfulness is from God. And as we look at his faithfulness, it fills us with faith and it makes us faithful, doesn't it? This week, we're going to look at another spiritual discipline called prayer. It is one that's close to my heart. I hope it's one that's close to your heart. I enjoy praying. It's fun. And sometimes it's alone. And sometimes it's happy. And sometimes it's sad. But it's something that I know is always growing. Why? Because, well, we keep doing it, isn't it? And that's how we keep it growing. I thought this morning a great place to start is to look at an example of somebody who prayed. Or who prays? Well, he prayed because he's not around anymore. This guy's name, or the example we have this morning, the guy I want to look at, his name is George Washington Carver. He lived a long, long time ago. Well, for me, he lived a long, long time ago. He, he lived around the turn of the 20th century. That's the 1800s to the 1900s, okay? Why I love this guy, he's a, the inscription on his tombstone reads the following. It says, he could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. He could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. This is the kind of person, if I read that on a tombstone, I'm like, I wanted to meet this guy. All right, I'm weird that way, okay? Um, I, 
But it is. There's, there's something, there's a story to be told here, isn't it? Now, like I said, around the turn of the 20th century, uh, the agricultural sector, uh, the agricultural economy, economy, economy in, in the U.S., especially the Deep South, was struggling. They were having a really, really hard time to, uh, to make ends meet. They were fighting a bug called the boll weevil. That is an actual thing. Um, <laughs> they were struggling with um, over-farming on their soil as well. They just kept on planting cotton and cotton, and next season cotton, and more cotton, and more cotton. So the essential nutrients that the soil needs to, or, or that the cotton needs from the soil, was just being depleted completely. And so they were in pretty, pretty deep trouble. Enter George Washington Carver. He, is, he was one of the most brilliant scientific minds of his day. So he introduced crop rotation to these guys. He said, hey, this season you plant this, this season you plant cotton, next season you plant something else to restore the nutrients in the soil. Then plant cotton, then plant something else. Then, and so the soil gets a chance to recover. This worked really, really well. But um, it didn't recover the economy because the most popular thing to plant was peanuts. And back in the late, or oh, oh, back a hundred and something years ago, well, there wasn't a great demand for peanuts. In fact, uh, the farmers were in trouble because they had massive crops of peanuts rotting in warehouses. So they went back to George Washington Carver. They said, look, it worked well. The soil has recovered and we're getting better crops, but the money we put into peanuts we're not even recovering that. We're going under in a, in a big way. How can you help us? So, George Washington Carver did what he always did. He went for a long walk and took a long talk to Jesus. All right? So he prayed. He had, he had a habit of waking up at four every morning and walking in the woods and just saying, just praying, God, will you reveal the mysteries of nature to me? Such a simple prayer. But so far, it's done him well. He's, he's got crops working again. So he did that again and again and again and again. And he kept this habit going. And the result of his habit was that George Washington Carver studied the peanut. All right? It's a, like, that's a serious study, isn't it? George Washington Carver found more than 300 uses for the common peanut. And not one of them was peanut butter. All right? I just thought I'd throw that in there. He found over 100 uses for sweet potatoes. All right? I thought you could just, you know, you just cook them, sometimes with marshmallows, sometimes with, you know, caramel sauce. I mean, there's two uses. You know, I'm like 98 short. So, George Washington Carver traces all this, the start of all this, back to a conversation that he had with God. And he relates it this way. He says, I asked God, why did you make the universe, Lord? Ask for something more in proportion to what that little mind of yours can understand. God replied, 
Okay. Why did you make the earth, Lord? I ask. Your little mind still wants to know far too much. Ask for something a little more in proportion to what that little mind of yours can understand. God replied. Why did you make man, Lord? I asked. Far too much, far too much. Ask again. Explain to me why you made plants, Lord, I asked. Your little mind still wants to know too much. The peanut? I meekly asked. Yes, for your modest proportions, I will grant you the mysteries of the peanut. Take it inside your laboratory and separate it into water, fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, and starches and amino acids. Then, Recombine them under my three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. And then you will know why I made the peanut. From there came insights that made history because of a peanut. But before that, because of a simple habit to pray, to lay everything before God and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but you do. And you've put me in this situation, so show me. So Carver was given 10 minutes to testify to Congress, well, not to Congress, um, to the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, they, they pretty much a trade committee that reports to Congress um, in the US. But um, they gave him 10 minutes. 10 minutes to testify on behalf of and hear this, the United Peanut Association of America. All right, now you can understand why they only gave them 10 minutes. After an hour and 40 minutes, they said to George Washington Carver, please come back whenever you want to and take all the time you need to come and talk to us again. Why? Because he spent time with God in prayer because he knew what he was talking about, because he spent time with God in prayer. He bowled them over with a myriad of ingenious uses for the humble peanut. Everything from glue to shaving cream to soap to insecticide to cosmetics to wood stains to fertilizer to linoleum, even Worcestershire sauce, you know. And by the way, not peanut butter. All right. All this from a man who had a habit to wake up at four every morning, take a walk in the woods, and speak to God. Now, let's be honest. God has no favorites. He doesn't like one of us better than, the, than another one. But if I say that, then, then why do we see this flood of purpose and success in one person's life? And I'm like, Lord, what about me? You know, I just need mysteries of, well, like, three things, like, small things, like, you know, you can compare them to peanuts, you know. And why don't we see that? Well, is it maybe that we don't pray? It's very, very quiet in the room. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for stepping on your toes. All right. So why don't we pray more is the question. The one thing, the one question we hear more often than anything when it comes to prayer is, how do I pray? Where do I start? How does this work? How about another reason why we don't pray is our insecurities get in the way. I don't deserve it. I can't. I don't know how, why, when, where. 
And the third thing we're going to look at this morning is that maybe we have a low view of God. And I'll explain that a little bit later. But let's start with insecurity. Insecurity, and you probably won't hear this anywhere else, so hold on. Insecurity is a good thing. How can you say that? You know? Because, well, God gave us certain insecurities. It, now, insecurity is a form of fear, and fear is, is dangerous at the best of time. But here's the thing. When you stand at a great height on an edge, what do you feel inside? A little bit of insecurity. All right? Now, for different people, it's different heights. You know, For me, when it gets to like more than two meters, it's about two meters away. Then the insecurity starts. Right? I'm not good with heights. But for the next person, it's kind of standing on the edge of a building, but the insecurity is there. So for different ones of us, it's different heights. You know, it's like break an arm, break a leg, burst insides. I hope you know a good doctor, you know, in heights. But for all of us, that insecurity starts before we get to the edge. There's something inside you that says, this is not smart. You probably shouldn't be here. So insecurity isn't a terribly bad thing. If you're hanging around dishonest people, something inside of you happens. It's called insecurity. Something inside you tells you, I shouldn't be hanging out with these people. I shouldn't be doing business with these people. This is trouble. How about if you hang around abusive people? There's something inside of you that goes, uh-uh. I don't want to be here. That's insecurity. Let's take an obvious example. If, you, if you're riding in a, in a military convoy and you're on your way into a conflict, that thing you're feeling inside of you, that's insecurity telling you there's trouble ahead and you're heading headfirst into it. When we bring that right into the church, when we realize that we have a sin debt that we can't pay ourselves, and then one day we're going to stand judged for the sin debt. There's something that happens inside of us that goes, ah, now I'm insecure. And then we ask good questions like, how, how do I solve this? And then people will tell you, well, Jesus paid this debt for you that we couldn't pay for ourselves. And then the insecurity goes away, doesn't it? So... God designed insecurity as a, like an early warning system, let's call it that, to tell us, hey, you're vulnerable or you're in danger and you need to take appropriate action. The problem comes when insecurity becomes a way of being, when we become insecure people. Rather than having a feeling every now and then, when it becomes part of who you are and what you do, that's trouble. Because then you're living in recurrent fear. Then you experience a lack of confidence. You have this fear of disapproval. You have this fear of rejection. And you have this sense of inferiority. Then it's not just asking you questions anymore. Then it's kind of shaping your, your life, isn't it? But all these signs, all those things that I just mentioned, they tell us that our identity is under threat. Now, last week, Ramon said, said something profound. He said it before, so I think he'll say it again. But he said, who we are is determined by whose we are. 
Who we are is determined by whose we are. So whose we are, who we belong to, will build our sense of identity, our sense of who we are. What is my identity tied to? It's the things I really love, the things I really want, the things I believe gives me hope. So in other words, whatever I worship gives me identity. So God determines these things. And God gave us insecurity as this warning system. Hey, your identity is under attack. So what's my identity, or what is my insecurity telling me when it comes around prayer? It's telling me, Vanner, I don't know about you guys, but you might, you know, relate. Maybe you don't know God as well as you think you know God. That's what my insecurities are telling me. How do I change that? Well, the answer is in the problem. You pray. All right. John 15, from verse 13 to uh, 17, if I remember correctly, yes. says the following. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples about how he belongs to God and God belongs to him and we belong to them both and how that all fits together. So he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Christ is our new identity. Us being fully in God and God being fully in us. That's our new identity. That's how we become our, our authentic selves. That's how we become the people that God has created us to be. It's in something as simple as taking time and praying, spending time with God. Now, the next question that follows automatically is, how do I pray? Because clearly I need to pray, isn't it? Well, prayer is hard to measure. Um, if you've been a Christian for a little while, and um, you've known other people who you think is like, you know, maybe you can follow them and, you know, maybe they know stuff that you don't know. They'll inevitably ask you a question that sounds like this. How is your prayer life? And usually my, my answer is something like out of 10, uh, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, do you like I'm a, I'm a 6, you know, I, I don't know. I'm a seven? Like, where do, what, what is nothing and what is everything? So where's the middle? So it's hard to measure, isn't it? It's not like reading a book. Reading a book's easy. How many pages did you read? 50. How many chapters did you get through? 10. What did you learn? Well, I learned this and then that truth built, another truth built on that truth and then another truth on that truth and so now I know all of this. Measured. You know, but prayer doesn't fit on an Excel spreadsheet. All right? I don't know, like if you've tried, good luck to you. For me, it doesn't. All right? Jesus does a great job of giving us the Our Father to pray. If you want to go read that, that's in Matthew 6, 
um, verses 5 to 18. That's Matthew 6, verses 5 to 18. I'm not going to hang out there. But it's a great place to go and look at what prayer looks like and what Jesus gave us as guidelines. But he kind of gives us these, these headlines. And he says, you fill in the blanks. Why does he do that? Well, because he wants us to make it our own. He wants us to connect what's on a page to what's in our hearts. How does he want us to do that? Well, the, our father starts like this. It says, our father in heaven, fill in the blank. Lord, I don't always think of you as my father. But when I do, there's a certain peace that comes over me. When I realize that you are a perfect father, that you care for me intimately, and that you want to help me in everything that I do. May your name be kept holy. Father, help me to be an accurate representation of you in everything that I do. When I go out into business, when I speak to the parking attendant, may your kingdom come. Lord, may your kingdom come and I'm in my heart, in the hearts of my family, in the hearts of my friends, because Lord, we need change. And Lord, I've realized that change starts inside of me. Do you see how the Lord's Prayer is just highlights? And we have to fill in the blanks. God's like, hey, I've given you the headings. You give me the paragraphs. And to together we'll do this well. All right? Because God wants us to fill the blanks with real stuff, my stuff, your stuff. Because he intimately cares for us. He is a real God who loves real communication with these real people. He loves these real people to express their real emotions, their real heartache, their real struggles, their shortcomings, their stress, their work, their families, their friends, their needs, over and over and over again. And what's the point of all this? That we might receive his answers to our real and everyday problems. So I do believe that when we measure our prayer lives, because we do, maybe we should ask different questions. Maybe we've been asking the wrong questions. And instead of asking, how is your prayer life? Maybe we should be asking, are you talking to God? Are you actually taking time out of your day to speak to God? Instead of saying, are you keeping the rules? Are you praying in silence? Are you praying before dinner? Are you praying, uh, I don't know, we make up rules, don't we? Instead of keeping to the rules, maybe we should ask, are you growing in relationship with God? Because that's a great measure of our prayer life. Instead of asking, how many hours do you pray a day? Maybe we should ask, are you satisfied with your prayer life? If yes, fantastic. If no, pray more. Find time. I, loved, I read a quote this week that said, fill the cracks of your day with prayer. Fill those empty, meaningless spaces with the meaning that is God. Fill it with prayer. And then lastly, because there's many, but lastly for today, people will ask you or we'll ask ourselves, well, how many times do I pray a day? Maybe we should ask ourselves, do I experience God's peace in every situation? 
If I walk into a situation and I don't experience God's peace, it's a good time to pray. Before I get to the situation, maybe I should pray. Maybe if I wake up in the morning, maybe I should pray until that peace comes. Because when the peace comes, it's easy to deal with the situation, isn't it? And so maybe that should be our measures. Prayer almost never gives instant answers. I know you're sitting there and going, he's going to give me the perfect prayer to pray, and God's going to go, boom, situation solved. Sorry, sorry, sorry. If, I'm sorry. If that was you, it's not true. All right. It doesn't work that way. But what prayer does is it changes us. It changes us from the inside out. It molds us to understand the situation better, to see God in the situation, and to understand how to respond to the situation in a godly manner so that his ways can become my ways in everything that I do. The third thing this morning, maybe we don't pray because we have a low view of God. Now, when I say that, I'm not thinking that you, you're in the place where you think God's a nobody. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we can all agree that none of us, to the fullest sense, really know how great God is. Because he, he, he doesn't fit into our frameworks. He, we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle that we can't explain God in like five, five points in a poem. That he won't fit in the box. Because every time we get him in a box, he kind of climbs out. Or he does something that's like, mm, this doesn't go in that box. What now? And then our paradigm shifts and the box has to break and we have to build a new box because, you know, we have to get God in this box. And God doesn't fit in the box. All right. So we gather all the information. We try to fit him in. We try to fit him into our reasoning and our comprehension. But back when we we're honest with ourselves, God is bigger than our comprehension, isn't he? He's bigger than our understanding, isn't he? So when we confine God to our ideas, yet we know that he is greater than our ideas, then maybe we have a low view of God. Maybe we don't have an accurate representation in our own minds of who he is and what he is like. And that's what I mean when I say maybe we have a low view of God. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils, but a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils, but a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. We've, over the last two weeks, extensively looked at the lengths God would go to or has gone to to have relationship with us. We've looked at his faithfulness in having relationship with us, in restoring relationship with us. And he keeps doing it. He keeps extending his hand moment after moment after moment. So here's the thing. Our greatest problems is not that failing financial state that I go to whenever I look at the bank, all right? Our greatest problem isn't that troublesome medical report that I have to go see the doctor for. Our greatest problem is probably not that relational disaster that I'm facing. 
But our greatest problem, and don't get me wrong, these things are of, of great concern. Health, wealth, and relationships are extremely important. But they pale in comparison to this problem. Is my problems bigger than my God? In my perception, is my problems bigger than my God? Or is my God greater than my problems? And it's easy to say, and the theory is great, but when we hear that, what rings true? That God is greater than my problems or that my problems are greater than God? You see, a low view of God creates even more problems, and that's the problem, isn't it? But a high view of God holds the solution to anything that we might face. And where do we change our view of God? It's when we pray. I want to read you guys just a bunch of scriptures in, in a row. And maybe see if we can maybe expand our idea of who God is. Thank you, Duncan, for knowing better than me than where I'm in my notes. I want, I'm going to read for you from Isaiah 55, from Isaiah 40, from Job 26, Psalm 8, Luke 12, Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, and Psalm 147 and verse 5 as well. And I'm going to read them in quick succession so that we can hear all of it and what God is trying to say to us maybe this morning. So if you, if you need the references, come speak to me afterwards or catch them on the board. But this is, I believe, just an, a little idea, a little taste of who God really is. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary, and no one can measure the depths of his understanding. These are just the beginning of all he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? When I look at the night sky, and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. How great is our God. He is power, his power is absolute. And his understanding is beyond comprehension. Is my conviction that my God has no limits. Is my conviction that my God's power is endless. Because if it is, we will pray bigger prayers, and we will dream bigger dreams. We'll pray bold prayers, prayers that only God can answer, won't we? 
Because we will know that He is limitless. Because that's the truth. But it's our perception that so often limits our God, isn't it? It's our ideas that we project onto Him and go, I don't know if God can do this. He knows He can. See, we all have big dreams. Bigger dreams than what we could ever achieve on our own. And that's the point of big dreams, is that we can't achieve them on our own. Because God-given dreams are God-sized, so that only God can realize them in our lives. But the thing that blows my mind over and over and over again is that He, who is perfect, and can run this plan out to perfection, invites us, who are very, very imperfect, to come and be a part of what He's doing. But He wants to achieve those dreams with you. He wants you to have your hands dirty in it, because His hands is already dirty in it. So here's the thing. Through prayer, we get to know God. And this knowing gives us peace. It gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. It gives us a peace that is sustainable and unmovable. And it's a confidence. A confidence to face anything that the world can throw against us. We always look at the negatives. We always look at the negative things that the world throws at us. But it gives us the confidence to face our dreams. Because our dreams, let me be honest, my dreams scare my pants off more than what my fears do. Why? Because I believe God is big enough to realize those dreams. And then he says, get your hands dirty. And I'm like, Lord, I can't because I'm going to mess it up. And he's like, that's the point. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to get your hands dirty. I want you maybe even to mess up so that I can go, hey, look at me helping you. Because together we get to do this thing with God. How does it start? Simple walks in the woods. How does all of this come to, to fruition? How does all of this start? Is, is by taking some time and praying. By saying, Lord, here I am. This is me. This is my thing. Lord, what do you have to say to me? So my question I want to leave with you this morning is, are you talking to God? It's a simple question, isn't it? I just want to leave it there. And I don't want you to feel guilty about it. I just want you to go home and do something about it. Start praying. Because God is much bigger than what we think. He's much greater than what we can imagine. He's much more capable than what we give Him credit for. He is infinitely capable. And He is much more willing to be a part of your dreams, your hopes, your desires. He wants to give you that peace that surpasses your understanding so that you can go into that meeting, that waiting room, that stressful situation and go, whatever you say, I know God has 
the answer. Whatever you say, I know God is in control. Why? Because we take long walks and have long talks with our God. Father God, this morning as we're just challenged to pray, Lord, to just stop what we're so busy with and just say, Father God, I need you here. Lord, I, I ask that as a community, as a church, Lord, we don't come to you as the emergency chemist. Lord, that we don't only know you when things go wrong, Lord, but that we grow a desire to know you intimately at all times, when it's good, when it's bad, when we're dreaming, when we're suffering. Lord, help us to grow in you. Help us to grow in relationship through prayer. Lord, will you challenge us daily to just take maybe a small walk and have a quick talk with you? Lord, might that become a habit in all of us that grows into long walks and long talks with our God? Because that's where things change. That's where we change. That's where you get to mold us and shape us into the people you have created us to be. Father God, I thank you that you are excited when your children speaks to you. And I thank you that we can come into your presence and just pray to you, knowing that you are excited to hear from us. Lord, will you change our perspective? Will you change our minds? Will you change our hearts? Will you draw us in, Father God, every single day of our lives? Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Is there, if there is something uh, burning on your heart that we can, we can pray with you on and you need some ministry, please come to the front and I'd love to, to speak with you. There's going to be some capable folks to, to also pray with you. We'd love to do that. Go into this week and pray. Amen. Amen.